0: Hello, and welcome to Building High Performance Cultures, a weekly series where we talk with executives from top organizations about how they've built high-performance cultures and how they're leveraging their culture as competitive advantage. I'm Marty Parker, the president and CEO of Waterstone Human Capital, and my guest today is the founder and CEO of Nix, Joanna Griffiths. Joanna, welcome to Building High Performance Cultures.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Delighted to have you. Now a little bit about Joanna, Uh, since launching the company in 2013, man, that doesn't seem that long ago. Joanna has built NYX into one of the fastest growing intimate apparel brands globally. Through a focus on product innovation and the brand's mission to empower women to be unapologetically free, a NYX item is now sold every six seconds. Amazing. NYX was named as the sixth fastest growth company in Canada with over 3,800% three-year growth, and recently won Strategy Magazine's 2020 brand of the year. Joanna holds multiple patents and has been cited in hundreds of media publications, including Forbes, Fast Company, The New York Times, and many, many more. Now, Joanna has also been recognized on both the national and international stage for her work as a marketing disruptor, championing the topics of body inclusivity, fertility, mental health, and postpartum. And in 2019, Joanna was named Women of Influence Entrepreneur of the Year. And most recently, she was named the Retail Council of Canada's Marketing uh, Innovation Award. And of course, she is Waterstone's own 2020, Canada's most admired CEO in the growth category. So Joanna, as I take a breath. I was uh, waiting
1: for my Waterstone
0: (laughs) (laughs) We leave it to that, we leave it to So. For people maybe who, who are not as familiar with the Nick's story, tell us about the brand and how it came to be.
1: Mm-hmm. So we are a direct to consumer um, women's intimate apparel brand. And as you mentioned, I started the company in 2013. Uh, we started with sort of two really clear mandates as an organization. So um, although at the time it was an organization of one, just me, so I don't know if I can say, say organization at that stage. Um, but the first one was that we saw a huge opportunity within the intimate apparel market to rethink what product could, products could be for women and to reimagine how they could fit into people's everyday lives. And the second piece was we saw that the, the category as a whole was making people feel quite badly about themselves. So it was the height of Victoria's Secret, there was one sort of dominant marketing message that was putting being put out into the world, and a lot of consumers, myself included, didn't feel connected or like it was relevant for us. Um, so we set out to redefine what products can be and to really take a stand and redefine what a brand can be for our community and customers. Um, and along that path, we've been innovating product by product and um, as you highlighted in, in in my bio, just sort of growing and um, taking the company to new heights.
0: Yeah, new heights and growing is a bit of an understatement. Um, <laughs> uh, but let's talk a little bit about the culture. Describe the corporate culture at Nix, if you would, Joanna.
1: Um, I would say that it is a very authentic culture. So we um, encourage our like our community and our employees to show up exactly as they are Um, I think it's a culture that's really consistent with what you see externally as a brand so um how we show up on the outside is also how we show up on the inside um we are highly ambitious but still value a sense of humor and feel like work should be fun and that you should like and respect the people that you work with Um, so while we've been growing quickly and have had, you know, all of these different new initiatives and things that we've taken, taken on, um, it hasn't felt like a lot. And I think that's something that's kind of unique. Um, and certainly, you know, before COVID, when we were all working in the office, um, oftentimes people would be very surprised. They would come in at 530 and no one would be here. Um, which is not what you think about when you think about a startup, you hear these stories of people staying until midnight and sacrificing kind of every single component of their lives. And, um, we have a team that works really hard, but it's, those aren't the expectations that we have.
0: Interesting. Mm -hmm. Sounds like you've set out to build this culture over the last seven plus years deliberately, but, you know, has it been as deliberately as it sounds or did it also evolve organically Joanna?
1: I think it's been deliberate. And I think that, um, you know, candidly speaking, like there's been moments over the course of building next when maybe we didn't have the best culture, when you get a couple wrong people and into the organization, and especially when you're so small, like every single person can be value add to your culture, or they can take away from it. Um, um, And so I think it was having really great moments and then having some not great moments where, um, it became something really intentional where certainly myself and the other, everyone within our organization really feels like work is such a huge part of who we are now more than ever with, with COVID, a lot of us don't have very many other things going on. I don't know if if you do Marty, but I certainly don't. (laughs) Um, and so being really intentional that if this is where we're dedicating the bulk of our time and energy, then we need to create an environment and a space where everyone feels welcome, everyone feels respected, and everyone feels like they can be their authentic selves.
0: But in 19, in 2016, I should say, you really made a big pivot. I mean, you committed exclusively to becoming a fully e-commerce organization. What did that mean for both the company at the time and for the culture?
1: So for the company, it meant starting over, um, which is a really intimidating and scary thing to do. Three three years into your startup or your organization, to raise your hand and kind of admit that you got it wrong and that you're gonna scrap the the three years of effort and work that you put in and 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 re- rebuild. Um, so you're exactly right. We, we were a wholesale focused brand. So all of our business was basically B2B. And we made the strategic decision that we didn't want to sell B2B. We didn't want to have other um, partners or retailers responsible for our story and how we interacted with our customers. And we wanted to take that on direct. Um, and so we, we really started over as an organization, that pertained to the team that we hire, the partners that we worked with, the supply chain that we had in place, the technology that we used. Um, And it took about a year, have a lot of things happening behind the scene before anyone would have noticed what we were doing externally. Um, But it's certainly a pivot that I'm really grateful for. I think we were so fortunate to do that on our own time. And this year in particular, seeing so many retailers and so many brands being forced to make that transition, not on their own timeline, not kind of because they wanted to, but because it's their only way to survive. Um, I certainly feel grateful that while it was challenging, we were we were able to, to do it on our own terms.
0: Yeah, well, and it's and it's certainly paid a significant dividends for you, but I'm sure you were asking yourself a lot of questions over that time as to, you know, how are we gonna make this work? What a pivot. How do you define high performance at Nix, and what are those attributes that you may look for when you're, you know, assessing potential high performance team members for the organization?
1: So for me, I think that high performance shouldn't feel hard, and that's um, because I believe that you have a group of people that are working towards the same goals. It's very clear what it is that you're trying to accomplish. And you're hiring people that have such a high level of personal accountability and pride in their work, where you know that you can count on the other person across the room from you to do their part, and in doing so, it makes your part feel easier. So for me, that's what it is. It's it's about speed and agility and a confidence that you can take on any obstacle without it feeling hard and there's been times at Nix where things haven't gelled and it's felt really hard and then there's been times with the right group of people where you feel unstoppable and like it doesn't matter what task or what challenge is in front of you you just know that you have the right group of people who are determined and dedicated to figure it out.
0: In my 20 plus years of kind of talking about culture and its impact on performance I've never heard anyone describe it exactly. That. Oh,
1: cool. well, I've never described it before, so I hope that that was okay. No,
0: it, it's so it 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 represents, I think, great authenticity that your culture does have. That if it feels like it's maybe not right, it's not right, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So that's interesting. Now, Nix is also quite a mission-led, purpose-led organization, if you will. Talk about that, what that means, and and why it's been important, or such an important part of kind of how you uh, retained your talent and and found the right fit talent.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Nix for a very long time has been a mission-led company. Um, what it means is that while we sell products, our, our reason for being isn't to sell products. Our reason for being is to change the way that our customers and community feel about themselves. And I very early on got some advice from um, a person who sits on my board Uh, to attach myself and to attach the company to a person or cause that was greater than me because he could pick up on the fact that it wasn't really in my nature to ask for things or fight for things. And I was having a really hard time um, with that aspect of running a company, which is a very big part of running a company. You have to advocate for yourself. You have to fight. You have to um, stand up for what you believe in. And so um, he encouraged me and I'm so glad that he did to build Nix as a mission led company. So that every time when I'm going out and trying to do something, I'm not doing it for myself. It's not for my own financial gain. It's not about me. It's about something much bigger than me. Um, And that really, really helped me. I also think um, I grew up in a very, very Christian household. So both of my grandfathers are ministers and one of them was a global missionary. And um, I making money for the sake of making money is not in my DNA. And it's not really something that you do. Like the way that I've been raised is that you're put on this earth to make a difference and to have a positive impact on others. And so being a mission-led company, I think, is kind of how I was able personally to bridge those two worlds, where I could be highly ambitious about our goals and what it was that we wanted to accomplish, while still every day feeling as though I was making a positive impact on the community.
0: Wow, uh, what a what an incredible uh, what an incredible gift to share with you at that time, and obviously you had the values where it resonated with you. Um, you know at, at that time as well it's a it's a hard thing to find though for many organizations even with the best intentions so I think uh, again uh, it, it in, in the case of Nick's it's it's worked so well because it started from a genuine place with you right we mm-hmm. um, never that,
1: would be where we are if we hadn't taken that approach yeah. and certainly I never would have been able to recruit and hire the the caliber of people that I have if it was not for something much
0: bigger than me. Well, let's talk about those values. And I really love the values you've defined for the organization. Uh, And when I say you, I mean you and your team of inclusivity, community, being a mirror to the world, uh, staying curious, safe is risky. Boy, does that sound uh, never more true than it is today. Uh, And and being an inspired protagonist. And I wanna talk about two in particular. Uh, starting with inclusivity. Why was it so important to have inclusivity as a value and how does that show up in the company on a day-to-day basis?
1: I think it was really important because the whole premise of why we, why I started Nix and the, the two problems that I saw in the market. So one from a product standpoint and, and products not being designed for, for real people and the second from a marketing standpoint both of those challenges rooted down to brands that were by their nature not inclusive and so the real opportunity that I saw was to create a brand that welcomed people of all ages all races all sizes and that made everyone feel like they were they belonged and they were a part of things um, so uh, that's why it was really important that we set it as part of our values um, and I think anything that is a core strength of an organization that's part of your point of difference and that is like at the heart of what it is you're trying to do, it's important to articulate that and put it as part of your values.
0: Mm, Agreed. Mm -hmm. Now I'm really excited to ask this next question. I want to hear you talk about being an inspired protagonist. What does that mean? And what does that look like in practice?
1: Um, yeah, it's it's kind of an interesting one to have in your values. Um, so we're a challenger brand and we are a disruptor within the industry and we are encouraging our customers in our community to kind of tackle taboos and to go against the status quo and all those different things. And when we defined these values, it was right around the start of the Me Too era and I really noticed that there were two ways to approach the problem. One was from a place of anger and negativity. And the other one was from a place of light, positivity, empowerment, and believing that there could be a better world. Mm -hmm. And some of our competitors we saw going down the negative path. And so we made a conscious decision that regardless of what conversation we were entering into, um, what, you know, what topic we were gonna tackle, whatever it was we were going to, to kind of try and challenge as an organization that we would come at it from a place of light and optimism and not from a place of darkness. Um, So that's why we included it as part of our values.
0: Awesome. Light and optimism, two words we don't hear enough about. And in these times, I think we have some light At the end of this tunnel called the pandemic and some and as a result some optimism so it's neat that uh that you kind of bring that into the culture and the values day to day at at nix now i know corporate social responsibility plays a big role in the culture at nix but i'm curious how do you decide what causes to get behind
1: it's a great question um i think i spent the first couple years not deciding and being very Saying yes to everything and and not being entirely focused around what it was that we wanted to support. Um, now, I think it's really comes down to that part of being a mirror to the world, honestly, and that value, and looking at what's around us and and where are the areas that we need to be investing and what's important to our customers in our community, and where can we have impact today? Um, and so, The causes that we support today might not be the causes that we support five years from now. And Mm -hmm. I think that that's totally okay. Um, Right now, as an organization, we've decided to focus on sustainability, mental health and um, black maternal mortality rates, because we feel like those are three really, really big issues and challenges that we're facing and that are really important to our customers and community and where we can see we can have an impact.
0: You've also developed some programs internally that align with your mission of empowering women to be unapologetically free.
1: Mm-hmm. So,
0: talk a bit about, if you would, the faces of fertility and the in life after birth projects.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, we first launched with faces of fertility. That was a campaign that we did, an initiative we did back in two thousand and eighteen, um, and it was really looking at. Um, our mandate of being unapologetically free and looking at our company values and realizing that there was this whole big part of um, being a woman that was tied to fertility and it was such a huge part of people's identities. And um, we kind of been ingrained with this singular view that like women are put on this earth to procreate. And um, in reality, that's not their sole purpose, first and foremost. <laughs> we could do a lot more. Um, and then i it's also not this like clean and clear path for very many people. Um, so we launched a campaign called Faces of Fertility. Um, it was inspired by a miscarriage that I had on Mother's Day of 2018. And with most of our campaigns, especially when we're asking our communities to share and come forward with something that's deeply personal, um, oftentimes we like to lead by example and kind of be the first ones to do it. Um, So what we did was we created a a hub of um, what started with over 50 kind of stories that then became over 1600 people sharing their um, fertility and stories and experiences. We created a podcast, and really tried to open up and create a conversation around this topic that literally is at the core of humanity and our survival, but that often isn't spoken about. Um, And so that was our Faces of Fertility campaign. Um, Our life after birth campaign, we launched in uh, the fall of last year. Um, And also just wanting to have a conversation and a spotlight in a different way around um, the the transformative kind of experience that is um, postpartum and recognizing that um, so much of the emphasis is put on the baby and not enough of the emphasis is putting on the birth of an entirely new person, which is is the person who gives birth to that baby. Um, And so I think I was in a really unique position at the time where I was um, pregnant with my, son, my first, my son, and we were in the process of developing a maternity line, and I just happened to be postpartum <laughs> during the development process. Um, and so that was a pretty risky uh, project for us. We launched it as a photography exhibit in um, Soho in New York. We featured over 250 people and they raw photography. We, we didn't even, we just said, send us anything, honestly. And we created this really beautiful photography exhibit that was very raw and had captions and um, invited people to come through. And I remember the, the night before we launched and we were setting up the gallery. I was like, well, people are either gonna love this or they're gonna think this is the weirdest thing that they've ever seen in their entire lives. Um, and thankfully, thankfully they really, really liked it. And so we 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 took it to a few other cities and then um, it's being released as a book next year. So we're just in the process of finalizing that manuscript. And um, it's been a really beautiful thing to once again, give the microphone and the spotlight to the person who doesn't often get it. And I think there's one, one unique one similar thing that every person has in common who's given birth and that is that it's a, a a high point in their lives whether the outcome is negative or positive it's still it's like a major 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 part of their lives like if i don't know you have four daughters marty is that right did i make that up three
0: daughters two sons. Three Three daughters.
1: Okay, you have five kids. Here we go. If they were to make a trailer of your life, the birth of your children would likely be in it, right? One hundred
0: percent.
1: And so, because of that, it's just so incredible how open people are to revisit that that chapter and to share those experiences. And we would have not just not just you know recent mothers coming through, but people in their seventies or eighties where they would be brought back to this really different experience from so long ago. Um, and it's just a really great thing to be a part of.
0: Um, can maybe talk about our current circumstances? And although we talked about seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, how has Nix weathered this COVID-19 pandemic? And what have you learned about the culture and the role, uh, the role of your culture over the past number of months through this? Through this difficulty?
1: Yeah, I think that um, I've learned so much. I mean, it's definitely taught me about the adaptability of our organization, and that when you work really hard to invest in a culture and to build those bonds. You don't actually have to be in person to have them be realized. They can they can still exist just as strongly, if not even stronger, virtually than as they do in person. And that's been a really really interesting experience and cool learning for me. Um, I think I'm proud of Nick's and our how we navigated through COVID. I'm I'm proud of our decision with all of the PPE work that we did and the decision like very early on when honestly, we were not sure how things were gonna go for us as an organization, but we didn't, we, we still wanted to make sure that we were being a part of the solution. Um, and so I think that that helped give all of us honestly a sense of purpose in the early days of the pandemic when it was really easy to feel lost and um, confused. And then I think I just feel so fortunate, like I said, that um, we transitioned to digital a few years ago. Um, we had the luxury of making those choices on our own terms. Um, I think that there's arbitrarily been winners and losers as a result of this. And it's not fair where you ended up on, in, on, on those spectrums. Um, and I think that Nix is really fortunate because we've done better than we've ever done. Um, But I feel for those that just just are in industries where that just was never going to be a reality or possible.
0: Right. Mm -hmm. Looking up Joanna, um, what trends do you foresee in the kind of area of building high performance cultures and, and corporate culture in general?
1: I think the way that we've worked has been forever changed. We talk about that a lot now. So um, I don't think that anyone can make the argument that you need to be in an office nine to five with the same group of people every single day of the week. And then that's what's required to do well. So I definitely think that that's a train a trend. Um, I think that we're going to see a more flexible approach to work and a more, diver- a more diverse employee base. So we certainly, that's our our, our thoughts of ethnics were for the first time, we're able to hire people from across North America. And um, I think that's gonna unlock great things for us as an organization and for anyone else who's following suit, because um, you're really for the first time finding the best candidate, regardless of where they're located. Um, what else do I think? I'm just so curious about, and I don't know how you feel. I'm just so curious about what the adjustment's going to be like when we start to, to re-engage and socialize, because for me at this point in time, it's like, I, I just, I'm so not used to it. Like one, one day in the office, it feels like a lot when you're used to being in your home environment. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think it'll be interesting to see how people, uh, transition back.
0: I do too. I, I, you know, the best we can see is some, some hybrid where there will be people that won't and don't need to uh, people that don't need to, and will want some, some balance. I think there'll be a, a percentage of those who just go back. They really want to, there's a routine they've built over the years and they want to do that. But I, I really think that we're going to come out of this way better, much more flexible with the ability Already in our executive search practice, we're looking for candidates in places we would never get to look with those clients nine or ten months ago because they're saying, "Yeah, maybe we don't. They don't need to be in the office here." Uh, and in some cases, you know, that's staying within a time zone, but in many cases, not.
1: I know and that's exciting, right?
0: Super exciting. Now you are clearly described uh, as an innovator and a disruptor. And this is, you know, I'm convinced this is gonna be one of the great stories, forget about Canada that we're gonna hear about um, being so purpose-driven, uh, advancing something that hadn't been advanced before. Yes, as the father of three daughters, uh, it matters to me uh, and uh, and touches me in many, many ways. And I think it's uh, fantastic. But you know, what was it? 2001, when you started as a commerce student at Queens, something like that, mm-hmm. yeah. I've got, my my second youngest uh, child and, and fourth uh, or second daughter is in her first year in Commerce at Queens. So what's the one piece of advice you'd give to people like my daughter, Corson, or anybody who's on kind of this next generation of innovators, disruptors, who are starting on their own high-performance, purpose or mission-based kind of culture journey? What would you share with them?
1: Yeah, it's not related to undergrad, but it, it, it's close enough, so I'll say it. My um, best friend's mom gave us, She and she, my, my closest friend has had a tremendous career as well. Um, and her mom gave us some really great advice. Uh, growing up, we went to a very competitive high school. Um, it was an all girls school. I think those can be hyper competitive environments. Um, and the advice that she gave us was, no one wants to peak in high school. And so I am certainly not someone that peaked in high school. I didn't peak in undergrad. I still don't think that I've peaked. I think I'm just getting started. And so that's my advice to anyone who's in that position is you don't have to nail it today. It's a constant, the people that truly, truly peak recognize that it's a constant journey of learning development and challenging yourself. And um, I wish them a peak at 60, 70, 80.
0: So there's still time for me.
1: Hundred percent, yeah, yeah. Um, I wish I had that foresight and that. um, Do you know what I mean? Like, I think I think it takes a lot of a lot of the pressure off, um, and also teaches you that your your potential is on a curve. And if you if you lead your career properly, you'll never actually know where the curve kind of ends.
0: Great advice, and, and Joanna, thank you. Um, just to recap. There's so much we could recap. I, I'm I'm leaving Inspire, quite oh, frankly,
1: okay. and,
0: and uh, I think the concept of, of uh, high performance shouldn't feel you know feel that hard is one that we should all listen to, uh, not just as business uh, leaders, but in our own work and. And, uh, and and I think that's that's great advice. I think this um, mission-led uh, and purpose-driven uh, organization that you built obviously will have greater potential than it will have uh, even in its pa- great short past of what seven eight years now. Um, but you know, I I, I listened to you speak, and and right from your early days, um, I'm being challenged from family members that. You know we are on this earth to make a difference and have a positive impact on others. There is no reason why we can't do that to each other in the workplace, and I think that's what's really exciting. That's what this pandemic will change: is our understanding, our connectivity, and our ability to kind of do that, maybe even outside of our physical touch. And uh, and you've lived that as an example. And I think um, uh, I think this business has a much greater future. And so does Joanna Griffiths and it does a past. And we're really lucky to have you in McKenna's most admired CEO family and uh, with us today. So thank you.
1: Thanks so much for having me and letting me share and and for the honor again, it's it's, it's amazing to be alongside so many leaders that I admire and respect. So thank you.
0: Well, thank you and join us next week for another episode of building high performance cultures. And in the meantime, if you want to learn more about the topic, please visit waterstonehc.com. Thank you again to our guest today, Joanna Griffiths, founder and CEO of Nix.